So it's great to be back preaching this morning. Um, I'm grateful to have had a couple weeks to work on some things behind the scenes, um, but I'm grateful to be back in the pulpit, so to speak, this morning. If you can remember back three weeks ago when I last preached, we were in the Gospel of Matthew. We were walking through the story of Jesus' life as we find it there. We had heard the story of Jesus' baptism. We watched as the heavens opened and the Spirit of God descended like a dove and remained on him. We heard as the voice from heaven spoke, This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. And we watched as that same Spirit sent Jesus then out into the wilderness to be tempted. In those three temptations in the wilderness, we found three gateways into the life of following Jesus. The first gateway as the invitation to give up searching for satisfaction in what the world can offer us. In the second gateway, we found the invitation to give up using God and our faith as a tool to get things that we want, namely security and safety. In the third temptation, the third gateway, we found the invitation to give up even ourselves, our will, our desires, our understanding, in order to follow after Jesus. We're skipping a couple short stories where Jesus calls his first disciples to follow him, where he begins to heal and crowds begin to gather. Those crowds come because they've heard something of Jesus. They come wondering who this man is. They come hoping maybe they may taste and see one of his miracles. They come hoping to find something of God. I think that's why we gather this morning too. We come because someone we know heard or saw something. Because maybe you saw or experienced something. And so we gather this morning together at the feet of Jesus, hoping to find something of God. If that's you this morning, I don't need to tell you to do what you need to, to listen well to these words from the book that breathes life. When Jesus saw the crowds... He went up the mountain, and when he had sat down, his disciples came to him. He began to teach them and said, Blessings on the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessings on those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessings on the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessings on those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessings on the merciful, for they will receive mercy. Blessings on the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessings on the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessings on those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And blessings on you 
When people revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account, rejoice and be glad. For great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who came before you. You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its flavor, how can its saltiness be restored? It's not good for anything but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden Neither does anyone light a lamp and put it under a bushel basket, but on a lampstand to give light to all who are in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. Picture the scene with me. Crowds are beginning to gather as Jesus performs miracles and heals many. And as Jesus sees these huge crowds coming out to meet him, he runs off into the mountains with his disciples. And they gather around and he begins to teach them. It's odd at first that Jesus would leave behind a successful ministry healing people for a much less successful ministry teaching But he must think there is something important he has to tell. That he wants his ministry not just to be healing the sick, but also preventative medicine. He must believe that as his disciples and followers come to believe and obey and teach these words, they too can be caught up in God's ministry of healing a world of sickness and death. So Jesus sits down to teach. And here's what I find really fascinating. Because as Jesus begins his teaching here, his inaugural sermon in the Gospel of Matthew, this is the Sermon on the Mount, the longest chunk of Jesus' teaching that exists. And as he sits down to begin it, to set the stage for his whole ministry and all of Christianity, really, how does he begin? Blessings. Is that what you expected? Blessings? Did you expect maybe commands? Do this, don't do that. Condemnation, how dare you? Some of those will come. The Sermon on the Mount is filled with commands of things to do. There are even some harsh things spoken to people who do certain things or don't do others. But it begins, blessings. I don't want to hate on my brothers and sisters in Christ too much, but I wonder what the impact would be if we too took the same posture, leading with blessings. Benign blessings that come are incredibly important, and there's a movement within them as well that will follow this morning. They come in three sections, and so we're going to walk through those together in our time this morning. Normally, I'd tell you what all three of those are so you know what's coming, but this morning we'll build some suspense and I'll make you wait. So, the first movement, the first section, is all about grace. These first four Beatitudes, one, two, three, and four, are in this first section. They're all blessings of grace. 
blessings offered to those who are in utter need and utter lack in order to fill them up. Grace offered to people who haven't done anything to deserve or earn it. Pure, unmerited grace. The first, blessings on the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Poor in spirit is Matthew's translation into Greek of the Hebrew term for poor. It didn't just mean to not have money. It meant to be crushed by your poverty. Others have said it's to suffer your need, to know your need deeply and desperately. Blessings on the poor in spirit. There's a danger with this beatitude, though, to fall off on on either side. On the one side, the danger is to over-spiritualize it. Not many of us are poor, at least in the scope of humanity, but we want to get in on the blessing too, so maybe we'll spiritualize it. Blessings on the poor in spirit, but also on the rich, as long as they're humble. We do well to check out the Beatitudes in Luke, where Jesus just says, blessings on the poor. It's to the poor, the actual poor that Jesus comes. If you back up into chapter 4, the context of the crowds gathering is that Jesus is out among those with every disease and sickness, the demon-possessed, those with pain, the epileptics, the paralytics. It's those to whom Jesus comes and is curing them and then says, blessings on the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. It's to them that Jesus shows up, the actual poor There's a danger on one side to spiritualize it and make it about a disposition or a virtue of humility within us when Jesus is really talking about a condition. But the danger on the other side is is just as severe. The other side, we can over-secularize the blessing and say blessed are the poor to mean poor people are happy people. As one writer put it, isn't it wonderful to be miserable This isn't what Jesus meant either. There's nothing inherently good about being poor or in need or a victim that we should strive to become one too. No, the poor in spirit are blessed because it's to those who have reached rock bottom, physically, spiritually, emotionally, to those who suffer their poverty and know that they cannot live without God's supernatural help and miraculous intervention. It's to those at the bottom of the pit that Jesus appears and announces, look up, I am here, I am with you, and the kingdom that I bring is especially for you. The nine blessings Jesus announces are the blessings of Jesus' presence. For he is the one who comes to the bottom of the pit to stand beside us. Blessings on the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The second beatitude follows suit. Blessings on those who mourn, for they will be comforted. There's nothing inherently good about mourning. And neither is this to be spiritualized as long as you're sorry about your sin. Jesus speaks to those who mourn, to those who have lost, to those who are suffering in sorrow and says, you will be comforted. 
As Frank reminded us in our Surprise by Hope class on Thursday, when Jesus comes to his friend Lazarus after he has died, Jesus doesn't come with a smile on his face saying, don't worry, I got this. He comes weeping with Lazarus' sisters Mary and Martha. And the word's probably better translated sobbing. Connected to it is, is a physical reaction of shaking and quaking. He's undone in sadness. He comes to mourn with them and then goes to the tomb to command Lazarus, Come out! Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted, will be comforted. Future tense. Not necessarily right now, but blessed are you still, for Christ comes to stand beside you, for Christ joins you by grace you never deserved to lift you up out of the pit of your sorrow, to bring comfort, and one day to make right all that has gone wrong. These first two blessings are blessings of pure grace to those who need and suffer and want There is nothing we can do to get into these categories and receive these blessings. They simply are. Jesus shows up to those the world ignores, to those at the bottom of the valley, and pronounces blessings. Blessings three and and four begin to shift, though they stay in the territory of grace. They're still about our our need and our lack, but now there is something we can begin to do to place ourselves within them. Blessings on the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Others translate meek to mean little people or the powerless or the oppressed. They are literally those who make no claims for themselves before God and before others. It's again those at the bottom to whom Jesus shows up and brings his kingdom. Not to the powerful, not to those who assert themselves, to those who take what they can, who make sure everyone knows what is theirs and what belongs to them. The blessing isn't that God helps those who help themselves, it's blessings on the meek, on those who cannot. And yet with weakness, there begins to be an opportunity for us, too, to step into Jesus' blessings. For as those who've tasted Jesus' grace in our abject poverty, as those who have been comforted in our mourning, as those who know that we rely on grace and grace alone and not on anything that is ours, we can begin to be meek, knowing that we don't exist on what is ours that we're not held safe by our own strength, we can begin to relinquish our rights and give up aggression and power. Jesus himself is the best definition of meekness, especially if you watch as he goes on trial and is crucified. He doesn't there project weakness. He is not a doormat there for the evil of the world And yet he does not claim what is his. He does not use his power to defend himself. He does not respond with force, but by submitting allows evil to show itself for what it is, trusting that God will vindicate him in the end. And so, while the meek may find themselves oppressed, 
they also find themselves standing in the shadow of the cross, which means they find themselves standing with Jesus. Blessings on the meek, for they, not the strong or assorted, assertive or self-confident, they will inherit the earth. And then the final blessing of grace, blessings on those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled Having tasted God's grace in our need, that need doesn't magically disappear. Having given up power and claims, Jesus now pronounces blessings on those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for things to be made right in the world, for their own vindication, having suffered now injustice. Yet that's not the sum total of this blessing. For the righteousness for which we hunger and thirst is, is the deep desire to be made right with God. Righteousness may be about behavior some, but it's, it's more a relational word. It's about the right relationship with God, which has to do with behavior, but is about so much more. To be restored to the relationship of love with God for which we were created. We hunger and we thirst for it. Blessings on those who fight day after day after day against their sin. Blessings on those who may lose the battle every other, but yet they fight, they yearn, they hunger and thirst to be right with God. It's they who will be filled, Jesus promises. Not those who think they've pretty well got it down. Not those who think, I'm pretty righteous, I'm doing okay. It's to those who hunger and thirst for righteousness in how they love God and love their neighbor. They're the ones who will be filled. These first four blessings are blessings of grace because it's about Jesus coming to those in need and lack. The Sermon on the Mount could just as easily be called the Sermon from the Valley, for it's to those at the bottom in absolute need. That's where Jesus shows up in order to lift us up and pronounce blessing. The first section is grace. The second section is loving service. If the first is about Jesus lifting up those at the bottom, this section, Beatitudes 5, 6, and 7 is about Jesus sending us out in loving service for the world. For this grace we've received is not for us. These blessings are not for us alone. We are blessed to blessed. We are saved for the life of this world. And so in gratitude, we're sent out. Blessings on the merciful, for they will receive mercy. As those who've tasted God's grace when we had nothing... We can now practice mercy as those who know what it is to get a gift you did not deserve. We too can share mercy with a world that does not deserve it. We are sent out into the world to be people of mercy and learning to be people of grace and forgiveness doesn't actually sound like it's optional either. Blessings on the merciful for they will receive mercy. The they is emphasized. Mercy will be shown to the merciful, not to the others. It's a hard thing to grasp and tricky theologically, but we've seen it other places. 
One chapter later, as Jesus teaches us to pray the Lord's Prayer, he teaches us to pray, forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. As we have forgiven our debtors, forgive our debts. Or there's the parable Jesus tells of the man who owed his master thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars, and he couldn't pay it back. And he comes to his master and pleads for mercy, and the master forgives the whole thing. So what does the guy do? He goes out and finds a friend who owes him a couple hundred dollars and demands he pay it back. And when he can't, he has him thrown into debtor's prison with his wife and with his children till they can pay back every penny. What does the master do when he finds out? He's not so happy. I've forgiven this huge debt and you can show no mercy yourself? Blessings on the merciful for they will be shown mercy. Blessings on the the pure in heart, for they will see God. It's interesting that none of these blessings are pronounced on those who do specific things. As a Pharisee, we might have expected that. Blessings on those who study the law, the Torah. Blessings on those who come to synagogue. Blessings on those who keep kosher. Blessings on those who tithe correctly. But Jesus doesn't go into any of those. He skips the commands and goes right to the heart, literally. Blessings on the pure in heart. The heart, the core of our being, our loving and our will, the center of who we are. Blessings on those who are centered on Christ. This is the loving service to which we are called to fix our hearts on Jesus and Jesus alone, that our whole lives may be oriented toward him. Blessings on the pure in heart. They will see God. And blessings on the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Now, as we think about peace, we often think of two things. Inner calm and a lack of fighting between two parties. We could picture them as a point, inner calm, or a line. No violence between us. But the peace that is spoken of here is is a circle. For Jesus and Matthew as Jews, peace is, is shalom, it's wholeness. It's about fullness. It's about all things being restored to the way they were meant to be. It was about the restoration of God's ways and intentions for all things. It's about drawing all things back together into right relationships. While the fourth blessing was about those who hungered and thirsted after righteousness, the seventh is about those who work toward reconciliation that's needed to reestablish relationships with one another. Blessings on the peacemakers. Blessings on the circle makers, the reconcilers, those who draw people back together and restore relationships. They will be called children of God. The second set of blessings, five, six, and seven, are about loving service. About how we are now sent out into the world to follow in God's ways, to be people of mercy, to be pure in heart, to be peacemakers. Which brings us then to the last set of blessings. The movement began at the bottom of the valley where Jesus meets us in utter need and lifts us up by grace and grace alone. 
Jesus then sends us out into the world to follow his ways and to work alongside him in loving service. First, we are picked up and then we are sent out. In this third third section, though, we find something strange. As we are sent out into the world to work in God's ways, the world does not respond by receiving us joyfully, but by knocking us back down to the bottom of the pit. Blessings 8 and 9. Blessings on those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And blessings on you, When people revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account, rejoice and be glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who came before you. Jesus has lifted us up. Jesus has sent us out. And now the world knocks us down low. This is always the world's response to Jesus. There's a reason, he tells us, if we want to follow, we need to carry our cross because it's going to be used. When Jesus arrived on the scene proclaiming the good news of God's kingdom, crowds gathered, hundreds and thousands. And as Jesus began to teach, there were fewer and fewer following him until he was all alone and was then tortured and executed for that good news. And Jesus' experience wasn't an anomaly because the rich don't really like to hear it's the poor who are blessed. The happy don't really like to hear it's the mourning. They're downers. The powerful certainly don't want to know that it's the meek who inherit the earth over them. And those who hunger and thirst for righteousness are left to suffer injustice. The world doesn't really want mercy either. It wants people to get what they deserve, at least everyone else, to get what they deserve. And what happens to the pure in heart? Well, the rest of us stop inviting them to parties and eventually start labeling them teetotalers and then bigots. And the peacemakers? Well, the 20th century saw three phenomenal examples of nonviolent peacemaking inspired by Jesus. Mahatma Gandhi, Martin Luther King Jr., and Oscar Romero. And do you know what else those all three hold in common? Assassination. And so we find ourselves again at the bottom of the pit. Again, poor in spirit. Again, mourning and meek and hungering for righteousness. We find ourselves knocked down or hung on our own unique cross And yet this time we find something equally strange. Not defeat. Resurrection. We find that we are again joined by Jesus. That we again receive the blessings of his presence. That we are again lifted up and out by grace and mercy. But even more this time. For we find that it's not just the kingdom of heaven that is again given to us. But we find hope and joy as Jesus tells us, Rejoice! Be glad! For great is your reward in heaven. Rejoice! 
Be glad, hope, and joy. Hope that we will receive a reward in heaven. Hope that God will vindicate us someday in the end. Hope that we will receive what we truly love and desire. God. And that hope is not just held out for the end of times, but it's a hope that gives us joy now. Rejoice, Jesus says. Be glad. The way of blessing begins where Jesus meets us in absolute need and lifts us up by grace alone. It continues as Jesus sends us out in loving service for the life of the world and it loops back around again when Jesus again lifts us up out of persecution with his joyful hope. We are lifted up. We are sent out. And when we fall, we are again lifted up and sent out. For Jesus says, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. I did not save you for yourselves. You are saved for the world. You are now the means by which I will work on the earth, by which I will transform and heal all things. It's you. It's you who are poor in spirit, you who are mourning, you who are meek, you who hunger and thirst for righteousness. It's you who practice mercy, who are pure in heart, who make peace. It's even you who are persecuted for the sake of righteousness. All this I am using to heal a sick world. So do not lose your flavor. So do not hide your light. But be who I made you to be. And let your light shine before others that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Jesus, for your grace, which we did not deserve, which we will never earn, Lord, we give you thanks that you have come to find us when we were at the absolute bottom that you come, O Lord, to find failures in their failure, the mourning in their mourning, the poor in their poverty, the lonely in their loneliness. Lord, you have come to find us when we had nothing and you have lifted us up by your very presence and by your grace, Lord, somehow now sent us out to be your light and salt for the world. So, Lord, help us to be who we are. When we are knocked down again by the world, help us to remember the hope and joy of your presence still with us, that we may go out again, that we may declare your hope, your joy, your peace, that we may be people of mercy, that our hearts may be pure, that we may make peace in the world. Lord, send us out that the world may see you and your glory. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, it's in your name that we pray. Amen.